the incomparable. Number 269, October 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. It is time, comrade, to talk about John McTiernan's other fantastic movie. We already talked about Die Hard a long time ago, but he made another movie that I would consider a classic. It is 1990s, The Hunt for Red October. Um, and I have uh, three people who have quoted the movie extensively to me joining me on this episode. Cause, you didn't even have to watch the movie. Because it's only right. I, I, I just heard your voices as we, as we watched it. So I give us one chance in three. Here are the three. <laughs> I, see, I, look what I'm doing here. Casey List joins us for the first time on The Incomparable. Casey, I wouldn't have done this episode without you. Thanks I'm for being so here. very happy. Thank you very much. I am super excited to be here. And if there was ever a time I was going to feel confident in being in the big leagues of pop culture podca- podcasting, it will be about this movie, which I probably could quote most of. When we do our sneakers episode, you'll be back. Um, um, I'm in. <laughs> also, uh, ho- perhaps hosting that episode because he loves it so much. <laughs> Another person I would not do this episode without, Dan Morin. Hello. Hello, it's so good to be here on this cramped submarine with you gentlemen. <laughs> mm. I, miss, I, I miss the uh, piece of fishing, is what I'm saying. I understand. So, uh, also joining us, the person who uh, has said, uh, you arrogant ass, you've killed us to me more times than I, than I can count, Mr. <laughs> Philip Michaels. Hello. I, I noticed that you could do the podcast without me. These other two, indispensable. Michaels, we can no, take No, no. I, I, you, you, all three of you could Anyhow, not. You were, you were all mandatory uh, guests. Anyhow, this, this reminds episode. me of the heady days of Sputnik and Yuri Gagarin. <laughs> well done. When well the done. world trembled at our podcast. Yeah. Well, tonight, they will tremble at our awkward well done um i should explain with a prologue (laughs) could you do it in like (laughs) this movie was set during the cold war which awkward was kind of over by the time the movie came out i i just want to uh sort of begin with an opening statement not steal someone else's check here but um I can take or leave Tom Clancy books. I, I really find them um, kind of kind of dreary. I think Sean Connery um, doesn't really act in this movie. I, Alec Baldwin. I've never really liked him either as an as an actor. And um, um, uh, you mentioned the two good John McTiernan movies um, <laughs> uh, that exist, and yet I love this movie more than I love Air. <laughs> <laughs> This is one of the greatest movies of my of my teenage years, and indeed one, and that makes it one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> That's right, logical. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other any other opening statements? This is I would prologue. just like to say that that uh, my my friends and I in uh, high school used to practice our Sean Connery accents by saying a line that is not even in this movie, <laughs> which is just going around and saying, "I'm a Russian submarine captain." <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was his pickup line that he used once he moved to the U.S. <laughs> Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's delightful. Uh, yeah, I feel like I should pitch in and just say that nothing of what you're about to hear ever happened. It never <laughs> happened. But as, you, as you're saying, 
the, the movie came out in 1990 just as the Soviet Union was collapsing. Yes, and, you can, and, and Which is why they added the prologue, because mm-hmm. they were like, oh, God, our movie is ruined. Peace is breaking out. <laughs> I remember reading, I think, probably like an article in Newsweek or something about the problem that they had where selling a Cold War movie in the heady days after the Cold oh, War per- was, was over. Yeah. Yeah, and they insert, and there is there is dialogue inserted in, in the movie about about how perhaps this event is what causes at the at the very end. Uh, uh, Ramius says a little revolution now and then is a healthy thing, don't you think? I'm not going to do Mike Sean Connery. That's, that's <laughs> oh, don't, don't worry, people will people will people fill that, will fill in that void. Yeah. The nice thing about that is that we're so far removed from that now that you can just view it as a like early 1980s Cold War movie to a certain Indeed. extent. Indeed, now so, it doesn't it doesn't matter. In fact, now the prologue is a little bit weird and unnecessary because it's just an old movie. Although I did, bo- my mind boggled when I looked it up on IMDb and I saw that it was released in 1990 because it feels, and this is does. to their credit, it feels so mid-80s. In fact, it feels so, um, it, the movie that actually it reminds me of the most is Star Trek II, um, yeah. which yeah, is yeah, also kind hmm. of a submarine movie. Yeah. And and it's it's got a, you know, it's got some, Harry shouting people like like <laughs> but it's it's a sub sub chase and the 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 score here which is not by James Horner but it is it Basil sounds Polidurus. so yeah. so much like the Star Trek Two soundtrack and that that movie is from what nineteen eighty two yeah so um it has that mid eighties feel even though it's from nineteen well, well we can we can get to this later in the episode if you want but basically submarine movies are space movies and space movies are submarine <laughs> yes, movies this is true well I will say that I also I went on a kick I think a probably around the time after I'd seen this movie and read in college a bunch of the uh, Tom Clancy books. I think I read- oh, that was a poor decision. Yeah. But well, and at the time it was, you know, they, they're thrillers, right? They're techno thrillers. Yeah. They're, they're definitely page turners. It got worse um, as they I, went along. They definitely got worse as they went <laughs> along. Although some, he's very good at maintaining that sort of like frenetic, totally tense uh, element of suspense. Like he is, he's very mechanically solid. Uh, in retrospect, I think Hunt for Red October may be the only really good book mm-hmm. that he ever wrote, but it is a very good book. I think, uh, and they do a great job of adapting it to a film here that that really works. You know, sometimes you get lucky, and it's like the combination of, and it's not that there isn't talent, but it's sometimes talent, all the talent in the world won't get you a good movie. But it's like the source mm-hmm. material and the way it was adapted, and the the way it was directed, and the performances in the movie, and the music and the special effects. It just all comes together. So yeah, this is going to be a love fest, and that is why we are here because this is such a cool movie. Um, so there's a prologue. It explains that this ha- happened in the Cold War and that it never happened. Some people will tell you it never happened. It never happened I, during the Cold War, I, or I, did it? Or it did didn't it. happen. Mm. Um, and so uh, we we start with. I'm just going to kind of walk through it and stop me whenever. Yeah, you go, like go ahead. It. We start we start with uh, Sean Connery as Marco Ramius. Uh, who is? It's actually this is a a, a tidbit that Tom Clancy. I, I really like this because in in hindsight, it is that much stronger of a, of a thing. Which is, he is Lithuanian. Yes. And um and in the movie, Jack Ryan says he's not a Russian. He's a Lithuanian. Like the, like it's like a little thing that most Americans wouldn't even think of. They're all Soviet. But to him, it's like he he's not Russian. He, the, the Lithuanians were kind of invaded and subjugated, and of course now Lithuania. Uh, and the rest of the Baltic countries are free from they, they they were the first ones to declare their independence from the Soviet Union. So it's a nice little tidbit. And he's there at the at their uh, uh, he's about to take off in his uh, in his submarine for this mi- mission. It is time, comrade. And that is the first thing we see in the movie is uh, 
is the the submarine, and that that him, is the beginning him, yeah, of our him, tale. Him and Sam Neill, who is mm-hmm. his executive officer, yes, the Sully. Yes, I I, uh, I would like to make a comment about the opening title, uh, the title card, which appears briefly in Russian before sort of washing into English. Mm. Uh, they spell October totally. Inc- that is not Russian. Krasny <laughs> <laughs> is correct, but October is spelled incorrectly. Yeah. Like they don't they. And I looked this up to double check because I was curious if it was another uh, another Slavic language, basically that they were sort of mixing and matching. And I found a couple references. Nope. They just spelled it in a way that made it look more anglicized for some reason. So, yes. <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> it's close enough. Except for the letters aren't even Cyrillic. They have an I in there. There's no I. Yeah, well, my, my understanding from people who know Russian is that the Russian in this movie is terrible. Just terrible. Yeah, some people have better accents than others in the movie. Connery's is terrible, as I'm yeah, sure well, cover. So, some people try, and some people are Sean Connery. <laughs> yes. Um, we then cut to it's London and uh, young, 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 higher voiced, no, not quite whiskey voiced yet. Alec Baldwin is Beetle Alec Baldwin is leaving for a flight, and he says goodbye to his wife, who is Doctor Dr. Crusher, Crusher. from yep. Star Trek: the Next Generation, with a with a totally weird British accent, since that character is not British in any of the books. And ironically, and, and much later... And becomes Ian Archer in the subsequent movie. Yeah. And then becomes <laughs> Kira Knightley, who is British and is forced to do an American accent. So what the hell's so the point of anything? I feel like it's shorthand to say, well, this this will help with the geography of explaining that he's flying from London. Probably. But it, it, it's, it's He gets wrong. out of a black cab it's, in the next scene. It's also not entirely clear even watching it that you know, she could be the nanny practically like it's not I, I, yeah. a lot of her she had some more scenes and they got cut ah all right is, is what i've i've read but this was this was monumental for me though because at the time when i saw this i was a big next generation fan <laughs> and so i was you know predisposed from the moment i saw dr crusher for all of five seconds to really enjoy this movie and from here on out i really enjoyed and continue to enjoy this movie it's the it's the dr crusher guarantee once you get that you're in there although i will point out that uh, i think all of the women to have lines in this movie pretty much are in the first like yep. two minutes and that's i was it. watching this with my wife and my wife says boy this movie really fails the bechdel test oh god yes <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, some like scenes on the submarines. I understand it's all, all male fleet. I get that, but yes, it fails in all the other in all the other places. Um, but then we move on. He's in Washington D.C. He's so young, and he's visiting with the Admiral James Earl Jones. I love seeing James Earl Jones. This is the this is a nice uh, period for him where we got him in this and in uh, in Field of Dreams a couple years later. And, and, sneakers. and, and sneakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, Field of Dreams predated this by a year. Yeah, oh, you're right. Well, I saw it. In, I saw it in college, so yeah, it was the year before. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's but, a good part. Yeah, the there, there, this, this was the this was the uh, this was the golden era of James Earl Jones when he he had to make the really crummy movies like City Limits in the early '80s, and then he suddenly became this. You've got a really authoritative yeah, voice. We can get Darth Vader for our movie. <laughs> yeah, let's put you in the movie, and you'll, people will go, "Oh, wow, this is a classy movie." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and he 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 does. I mean, this movie doesn't necessarily need to be classed up, although at this point it's early in the in the film. But he brings that real a really nice kind of. He's got the gravitas, like you got to take this guy seriously, but also comes across as like you know a, a mentor and a good guy. Like he's he's a he's a solid guy. He's a right egg. Yeah, and he and he he's got the you know he he's got to talk to 
to um, Jack Ryan about what was going on with the with what, the submarines. What, what brings? I don't know anything that can get you on a flight in the middle of the night. Right, <laughs> and, and, and it's a nice. This pitch, is CNN because we don't because <laughs> we don't know right. So we don't know why this is happening. In fact, I think you could probably guess that he's been summoned, right? And then we get yeah. there, and it turns out he hasn't been summoned. He noticed something and hopped on a plane, which just tells you a lot. I think about Jack Ryan, who he also is. about right. the era, right? Where, like he couldn't just like pop off an email to <laughs> <It's> a little <laughs> Skype. <laughs> like, hey, by the way. <laughs> Well, it is secret, like super top secret. I, I, I give him some latitude, like in in, in this service, perhaps well, you need to do it in person. <laughs> one of the things I love about the early technology, you know, Cold War thriller era is that it is so low tech in many ways, right? Like even though we're talking about hugely technical, like giant submarines and warfare machines, the fact that so much stuff has to be done in person, the computers don't really do everything uh, it lends just sort of maybe a certain amount of nostalgia to it. But if they I, remade I enjoy the movie the today, this this is like a warm. conference call on screens, and everyone is is weighing in. And and here it's him flying across across the Atlantic with a couple of grainy black and white photos that a spy took. Yeah, I was just about to say that these pictures are so crappy which is understandable mm-hmm. because a spy took them like you said but they're so crappy that you probably could have faxed these damn things and it wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't have lost very much fidelity at all but yeah so he gets on this plane to show um to show admiral greer that there's something up with this new russian sub yeah um later talk, talking about photos one of my favorite bits and i remember this from the last time i saw it which was probably i don't know five or ten years ago one of my favorite bits is when he's in the briefing room scene which <laughs> we'll we have get a to picture later of Ramius? and he's yeah. i've got a picture of ramius and it's like a picture <laughs> of this whole group of people and way <laughs> in the back there's this little circle around sean connery's face and i love it because that feels real to me like we this is the only picture we have this is like watching the people who line up uh in the in the balcony during the parades and doing actual Kremlinology, this is this is what that is, and it, so it totally works. We got this crap. Today would be like, well, we've got his Facebook page, his yeah. Instagram feed. <laughs> we've sequenced his DNA. But I love that, like, read like Waldo's right next to him. Like, there he is. <laughs> yep, that's right, Waldo. Noted communist. Uh, <laughs> He's wearing red. <laughs> yeah. Cut to the USS Dallas. Sonar guys are talking about sonar. Jonesy. Courtney B. I love Vance. Courtney B. Vance in this oh, movie. He's so one good. of my Courtney favorite Courtney B. Awesome yeah. is more like it. <laughs> so true. He is so delightful in this yeah. movie. And and the crux is is that we find out that um, the Red October is just launched, and this escalates Alec Baldwin's already urgency into a whole new realm. And so we're we're in the sonar room with Jonesy, and he's uh, tutoring his protege, whose name I don't even remember. Seaman Beaumont. Yes, thank you. Um, and so he's trying to teach Seaman Beaumont about sonar and makes a good joke about um, how Seaman Beaumont ends up discovering a whale who yeah. knows a hell of a lot about so- more, a hell of a lot more about sonar than you do. And it's a nice job. It sets the scene of sort of, you know, where we're going to be spending a lot of this movie. It throws a lot of jargon at you, but mm-hmm. it also does a good job of sort of translating the things that you highlighting the things you need right. to know and, and that not sonar will be important in the movie <laughs> right exactly but they, they go through a bunch of acronyms they talk about like use technical terms but they do both the translation and they also just it immerses you without necessarily making you feel like okay i need to know every single detail if you're if you're a screenwriting geek or a writing geek this is really a good yeah. movie that that the, the, this movie really handles exposition well because it, it could have been very leaden and, and obvious and instead it's deft and, and uh, advances the story. Speaking of screenwriting, um, the chief of the boat 
Yeah. Uh, he apparently was the screenwriter, which I did not know until I, I didn't looked at Oh, wow. Today. Yeah, I saw yeah, that too. So That's Chief of the Boat is the screenwriter. Uh, Larry Ferguson apparently oh. was the screenwriter as well. And I thought he was a fine actor. Like, I never in a million years would have guessed that his real job is screenwriting. That's He's fine. kind of a jerk to Jonesy, and uh, he pulls it off well, where they talk, <laughs> they're arguing about the uh, Paganini versus Pavarotti. Right, right. Uh, which I enjoy. That's a good line. No, no. Pavarotti's a singer. Paganini is a composer. Get it right. This is also good because, and, and, and this goes back to what I was saying about Admiral Greer, that um, the one guy could be uh, who is working with Jonesy could be portrayed as an idiot, or Jonesy could be portrayed as being a jerk. And that's not you get professionalism from these guys, right? They are they are professionals. They are they are uh, in this submarine. They are you know ex you know one of them is an expert at his job, and the other one is learning. And so you get the exposition, but you also get this tone of like these guys are not are not jokers. They um th- these are p- serious people who want to do good and want to do a good job. Also, I always love the fact that there's a roll of toilet paper hanging from it. I think to wipe wipe the screen off because I think they use it for that later, which kind of makes sense. But it is first several times I saw this movie, I'm like, do they not let them go to the bathroom? Like, you have to stay in your sonar station. Well, and it, as it turns out later on, we hear that Jonesy refuses to leave the sonar room for for Indeed. important reasons that will come upon in a moment. But you know, it very well could be that the toilet paper that was intended for the screen did serve a dual, a dual purpose, as it turned out. Let's take a brief break, comrades. Let me tell you about one of our sponsors. It's 23andMe. Now, your DNA is made up of 23 pairs of chromosomes, and that's why the name of the product is 23andMe. It's actually one of our very first sponsors, and it's great that they're back. 23andMe is the personalized genetic service that helps you understand what your DNA says about you. 23andMe is the first and only genetic service available directly to you that includes reports that meet FDA standards. With 23andMe, you get more than 60 personalized, detailed reports on your health, your traits, and your ancestry. I have taken this test. I've found out things about where my ancestors came from and uh, lots of other interesting things about myself. I've found cousins uh, through our genetic relationships, and then we compare family names. Uh, Lots of amazing things you can do with 23andMe. It has tools that let you share and compare your genetic reports with your family and your friends. Here's how it works. First step, you order your DNA kit from 23andMe.com. They send it to you. And then step two, couldn't be simpler. You provide a saliva sample from home and mail it back to their CLIA certified labs. And that's it. You'll be notified when your reports are available online. You log into 23andMe.com and you see lots of interesting things about yourself and the people who came before you. More than a million people around the world have experienced their genetics via 23andMe, and you can too. Order your kit today from 23andMe.com, and thank you to 23andMe for being back as a sponsor of The Incomparable. Shall we talk about the Red October and why it needs to be hunted? I think I think perhaps it is. I think we've reached that point. Uh, in my the My only plot. note bet- before we get there is that hey, Scott Glenn is the captain of I the love boat, Scott Glenn and this. he has gigantic glasses. That oh, was so the style the at 80s. the time. Yes, so eighties. Scott Glenn is fantastic in this. And I just say like uh, when I saw him most recently, I think in uh, he's in the Daredevil show. He plays Stick. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Matt Murdock's mentor, right. and he's all, he's still awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, he's great. He's he is movie helper. You just put him in a movie, and Stir. it is better. <laughs> okay, we move to the Red October, and and we have uh, we have lots of stuff that happens in the Red October, including famously a switch from 
Russian to English, which I think is it's interesting. I I like it. I think it's a very deft too. way they handle it, which is they the Ramius comes into his his uh, his room and the political officer, the spy basically for the state named Putin. Putin. Mm-hmm. Also <laughs> played by Peter Firth, who then goes on into a long career of playing um Harry, the chief spy on the on the uh, British show Spooks, which ran for like ten or eleven years, so he's yeah, good old good old Harry. So he's reading through the books, and and one of the books he's reading through is the Bible, and 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 the highlighted passages, um, including about Armageddon, which is part of the theme of this movie, right? Because this is the this is the sub that could bring about the end of the world. And of course, a, as he's reading, the camera zooms in to the Bible, and he reads the word Armageddon, and then as we pull immediately, the camera zooms back out, and he's reading in English, and now we don't need to listen to. Uh, English and Scottish and American actors doing fake Russian. Uh, well, not all of them do fake Russian accents. Some of them still do, but they're all <laughs> speaking English at this point. Although it is, it is a, a hodgepodge of different uh, nationalities. All yeah. on, on like there's an American on the Red October. There's yeah. you know a couple of Brits. It's very, it's very all over the place. It, it is the Tower of Babel submarine. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of still fake Russian accents. I just figured the Lithuanian accent translates by the TARDIS translation circuits. It comes across as Scottish. Yeah, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> the funny thing about this was the one of the first times I watched this. I watched it with my dad, and he was a big fan of the movie from like the 60s judgment at nuremberg and he said to me and i believe my i have seen that movie once forever ago that this zoom into the mouth to switch languages that was actually pulled from judgment at nuremberg that's correct yes that Uh, uh, a variation of it but yeah 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 it's, Which it's, I, I agree, though, is a very clever, very clean way to say, without being cheesy about it, listen, we're just going to all agree to talk in English from now on. I also like that there's a uh, there's a nice contrast between the submarines here. A lot of the on the Russian submarine, we're getting a lot of bustling activity. It's like a hive. Everybody's running around. Whereas on the American submarine, people are just sort of chill. You know, yep. and the, there's different lighting. There's different set design. Um, yep. And so given that we're going to spend this so much in the movie in these two submarines, they do a nice job of setting them apart in a way that they're instantly recognizable. Uh-huh. So Ramius has gotten his orders. He and the political officer are going to are going to get them out and he's going to take I'm this sure secret, everything will be fine. This secret silent sub that's got a special drive called the Caterpillar, which uh, is uh, not audible on sonar or so they think. Um, and they're going to take it out for a test drive. And uh, and the political officer is so excited about this that uh, he wants to announce the orders to the uh, to the, the the crew, which Ramius agrees to. And as the political officer turns to walk out the door, Ramius grabs him, slams his head onto the table, kills him, and says, "Where I am going, you can't follow." I accidentally paused on uh, poor Peter Firth's death face, which is super <laughs> creepy. So bad. So yeah. bad. That's an awkward death scene. It really is, poor guy. Yes. Dying is easy, comedy is hard. Not if you're Peter Firth in this movie. <laughs> Dying is quite difficult. So I have an important question. So I know that uh, Jason and Dan, you are both devout tea drinkers. Did this did this scene really affect you negatively? Did that really? I does never it worry? spilled my tea. I enjoy well, okay, well, the tea the tea presence in this movie because the, it's tea. Mancuso drinks tea too. Yeah, he or, he says, "Get yourself some coffee and bring me some tea." So it's like there's a tea agenda happening. Well, in, and, and Russia, <laughs> they, this they movie actually was do, sponsored by Big Tea. Mm-hmm. Big Tea. Yeah, the uh, capital T. In in Russia, they they drink tea correctly on the on the submarines, although a little precariously, I would think, for a yes. submarine, which is the glasses. Uh, those are those are sort of traditional Russian tea drinking glasses, yeah. and and tea is certainly at least at this point probably much more common in Russia than coffee. It's a common thing for people to slip on tea and die too. So yes. you know, the submarines. Happens. Submarines are dangerous. Submarines. Okay. 
Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about um, ship's doctor uh, Frankenfurter here. <laughs> yeah, Tim Curry. I never Tim really Curry. trust him as the doctor oh, in this. Who Tim is the Curry. worst doctor ever? Because everything. Oh, he slipped on some tea. That <laughs> seems all right to me. Well, it you're is the, the Soviet Union. You're the captain. Mm-hmm. I like that he also does try to. He he's our explication uh, vehicle for why someone shouldn't have two missile keys. Yeah. It's sort of haltingly, are you sure? I mean, I could hold on to a key if you want. Uh, yeah, but that that is brilliantly shut down, right? It's like, nope, I'm going to do it. And I I will. And you're uh, Tim Curry. I'll do you a favor in that report that you gave me mm-hmm. some lip. Yeah. yeah. Poor, should... poor doctor. All he wanted was a BFF. He did. He just didn't <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I think this is a great, again, sort of great plotting for how Ramius is going to pull this off because, you know, as we are sort of learning, you know, his his plan as it goes along, a lot of it relies on things like the immense secrecy of what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he has sort of absolute power now, especially with the political officer out of the way. Um, but he is sort of still riding that knife's edge, uh, and that does come back to bite him. As we find out in this very scene, there's a nice setup with the guy that he calls over to have him witness taking the key is the... It, a cook's assistant hmm. who, may, who may be important later it's on as the camera lingers the on him be featured mm. so prominently in this strange, isn't it? Mm, interesting yeah. you know it's funny you guys bring that up because as i was re-watching this earlier tonight I, I feel like there is an awful lot of once you've seen the movie at least once really heavy foreshadowing yes. like heavier than you normally find yeah. and you know i i thought about you know the turbulence in the plane at the beginning that comes up it's not a right. big plot device but it comes up later um we we're actually we skip the scene where he goes to um see the DSRV getting installed that yep. becomes relevant later um something that i that i wrote down that i can't read my own handwriting um <laughs> And we're not reading your own handwriting comes into play. Yeah, later. That's, that's very important. <laughs> but uh, very yeah, critical. Cook's assistant, Lo- uh, Logan officer, that becomes important. It, it, when you watch it, you don't realize that they're setting all that up. And I think that's the g- good thing is it seems organic that this is all happening, but it all right. totally pays off. I would say, although it seems telegraphed, I think um, there are enough red herrings to keep you guessing. Like there's the guy who is always smoking a cigarette and staring at you with crazy eyes. Oh, the, <laughs> the engineer. engineer. Yeah, yeah, right? And My I, like, favorite I, guy. I don't trust that guy, right? I don't trust that guy either, right? Because he seems like, why is he so weird and why do we linger on him all the time? And he's not the, the, um, the mole or whatever. He's key to whatever. the plan. But, but right? I mean, the, yeah. the, and Tim Curry, again, I'm just naturally suspicious of Tim Curry. <laughs> so, you know, that, that kept me... A little bit off of edge. They were trying to throw it away from the, the cook's assistant. If I have two criticisms of this movie, it's it's two casting decisions. One we'll get to later. And the other is Tim Curry. I, every time Tim Curry appears, he takes me right the hell out of the movie. And um, that's probably just me, though. Yeah. See, and I never got that because I never saw any of the millions of other movies Tim Curry has been in until well after I saw this. Uh-huh. Oh, so sure. imagine me trying to watch Rocky Horror <laughs> many, many years later, <laughs> thinking, what the hell is going on right now? What is the doctor What is the what doctor is doing? What is the doctor doing, indeed? Captain! Hmm. All right, so... um. So murder the political officer, where I'm going, you can't follow, he says. There is that scene where Jack Ryan goes to the, his his friend at the ship, shipbuilding thing. and, and Jeffrey gets, Jones gets, from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And he gets the uh, to do a little uh, exposition as well about how this is the silent drive, the caterpillar, and that it's we tried to make it work and we couldn't even make it work. And if they did make it work, they can basically blow up New York and Washington before it's, we have the any The bottom line is it's a first strike weapon. Yeah, and this could be the end can... of the world because this is the ch- tipping in the balance of power. 
And that's when we 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 learn that Sean Connery is defying the orders and going to sail to to uh, uh, the the American coast. Right, we sail into history, comrades. Engage the silent drive, and then we a go great on. day, comrades. We sail into history. <laughs> we will park ourselves off the <laughs> oh biggest city and listen to that rock listen and roll. Listen to the rock and roll music. <laughs> oh, good. While we drill. But it's all. What's the best part of that is it's it's all a line of BS, right? Like yeah. he's feeding them what they want no, to but, hear. But, which but, I, but, but we don't know that yet. Do we, we? No, we don't. We don't. Although this is a nice thing that happens is that he he plays the crew. He knows what to say to a, to a Soviet crew to have them be excited to the point where even after they get them off in, the, in the, their little wraps and they're going to be picked up by the Americans, they're Everyone's still cheering like, for yeah. him. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's it's it, watching it again from the vantage point of having seen it before. You know, obviously, there's a. I feel like there's even more to appreciate in some of the way this is constructed because it is. It is. It works both on having never seen it before and trying to piece out what's going on, as well as sort of appreciating. Oh, look at the way he's he is playing the crew, or look at the way that he is taking advantage of all these ingredients. Also, this is the point where they um they st- start to sing the Soviet national anthem. Boy, is that a long national anthem! It, they <laughs> it sing is several a very verses. Long national anthem, but it allows the as they engage the silent drive. But it allows our. Uh, Amid lots of music and effect shots and all of this, the the USS Dallas has been has been trying to follow them, and the Red October goes silent. But there's a great line that I, I really like, which is like, "I thought I heard singing, sir." Just for a second. Just for a second. Like I'm going, I maybe going crazy, but it's like this submarine vanished, and all that was left was people singing the Russian national anthem. So, fun fact: in the early days of the uh, iPhone, when you could. Um, uh, use it to to uh, as an alarm clock to and it would just play whatever music was in your library. I used to use the Russian national anthem as my wake up song because <laughs> that will get you right the hell out of bed. <laughs> and I'm from a communist state. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil and I have had this discussion that if he was a major league baseball player, his walk up music would be the Soviet national anthem because how could you not? Because no one uses it anymore. No, no. Well, I think they rewrote the lyrics, and it is now the Russian national. Oh anthem, well, but then then I'd have to go with thanks, uh, the Putin. international. Um. So I, I, this is at the point where where I pointed out that every subtitle that happens in this movie, not the not the translation subtitles, but like the super titles of where we are, has that sound effect that doesn't exist where you're printing on a computer screen. Or something. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but. It's... It's really? that, I feel like that that is then then became a trope. I don't know if it was a trope prior. No, to this, it was not a like... trope at the time. This was 1988's most cutting edge technology. Yeah. <laughs> so so we cut to the Kremlin. Uh, a, a, a general who we find out is is Ramius's uh, father in law because Ramius's wife had died a year a year before. For a dude with one scene, I love this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he comes yeah. in. Good morning, like, Admiral. It's the yeah, awful, yeah, awful. Yeah. yeah, he's an admiral. Awful, awful uh, weather. He's taking off his coat. He gets his tea again. We got some tea action happening here. Sits down to read the letter. And... Oh, Marco. I love his letter opener, by the I way. I was just about to say, it is the most <laughs> over-the-top, ridiculous letter opener. That's like well, a I had sword. A, I know. Well, I had a brief thing at the, because there's actually like a saber on his desk. And then when he picks up, is like a shorter version. I kept expecting... Uh, this time I was like, wait, does he use the giant sword to open letter? That's ridiculous. <laughs> nope, it's just like a like a stabby dagger. Yep. So he opens the letter and then uh, spills his tea uh, because... And then slips on it and breaks his neck. Of something <laughs> shocking. <laughs> um, and this leads to... And then this sets in motion the 
Uh, finally, now we have the game that is being played openly uh, between the superpowers. Ryan gets an emergency call to give, uh, a, a, and in a very nice scene, uh, Ryan doesn't even notice. He's like reading the letter or reading the intelligence in, in an elevator, and he forgets to get out for a while, and then he gets out. And then you, you'd sort of notice that he's in a tunnel that's going to the White House, which I think he's he sort of hasn't been. He's, where are we going exactly? And Greer gets to break it to him that we're going to an emergency briefing. Who's giving the briefing? Well, you are. <laughs> The, yeah, the look on his face, he sold it so well, and he just kind of freezes as Greer's walking away, and then Greer has to come back and basically it. say, it'll be okay, you know pat, this? pat him on the back, you know, I, you'll, I will, you'll be fine. I will say that um, I like the, the establishing shot where they get out of the, the car and walk into the building, and they sort of pan up, you see the White House in the background. I was on that street three days ago, and <laughs> you, you cannot drive down that street, much less park on that street, because man, let me tell you, security sure. has changed. Mm. Well, these are the good old days of the Cold War. Yeah, uh, where everything was safe and fun. The only thing you had to worry yeah. about was a first strike nuclear launch. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're on the street in front of the White House for that or not. No. So um, there's a there's a briefing scene. All the top brass is there, including like the national security advisor and the chairman of the joint. Jeffrey Pelt, my favorite character in the movies. Uh, yeah, he is he is fantastic. the hero of he's, the movie. He's really good. So so Jack gives the briefing. Um, and says this is a first strike capability. Everybody's really upset. They start arguing among ourselves. Ryan is sitting there. He like gives gets the gets the thousand yard stare and figures out something very important and hits the table and shouts, "Son of a bitch!" Son of a bitch. At which point everybody else is silent and it is the most embarrassing thing in your first White House briefing ever. <laughs> I want to do that at every meeting I'm ever. You in. have some <laughs> thoughts, Doctor Ryan. He calls out the general who 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 disputes have him. He says, "Have you ever met him, <laughs> general? Have you ever? I met have him? at an embassy function. He gets told to stay after class by the national security advisor. And as he's leaving, James Earl Jones says to him, "I said, speak your mind, Jack, but Jesus, but Jesus. We, we should we should point out that what um what uh." Uh, Jack Ryan has figured out is that this is the year anniversary of um, of Ramius's wife's death, yeah. and that instead of being a rogue subcaptain sailing to the U.S. to launch a missile attack, he is in fact probably defecting. Is yeah. Jack Ryan's theory right? Right, knowing that he's Lithuanian, knowing that his wife has died, knowing that he has nobody left at home, mm-hmm. and that he's been able to handpick his crew because he's been training all of these people for uh, decades, that that the most likely scenario here is that he is, or at least a serious uh, a, a scenario to be taken seriously, is that he's defecting. And he tells this to the National Security Advisor, so, Phil, this is this is a guy you like, great character because he this is where he says look i'm a politician i'm a politician which means i'm a liar and a cheat and when i'm not kissing babies i'm figuring out a way to steal their lollipops <laughs> but i also keep my options open oh yeah. oh that guy I don't know if it's like a Texan accent. Whatever accent this is, it is it so works. delightful and it works so well. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, I, I love Jeffrey Pelt. And all his future interactions with uh, with the and, Russian ambassador. ambassador. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And we'll I, you, we'll get Andre. There. It's like we, we, we um, well, because he says I'm cheating a liar, right? And we see in the complete lack of, of truth in any of the diplomatic conversations that happen between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. What I also love about subsequent scenes with um, with uh, Jeffrey Pelt is he has a big bowl of candy. Yep. Yeah, he eats it. 
that he fingers continuously. Yes, that he stole from babies. <laughs> he stole from babies, that's but, right. But what's good is that he says, you know, you, again, you get the sense, despite all of that, he's doing his job here. And he's like, I'm going to yeah. keep my options open. I, I, You know, the the generals can think what they want, but, I, you know, I'm interested in this, and I'm going to send you because you're expendable. Um, he's like, no, no, our... I'm an analyst. Like, too bad, kid. We you're get going... our... Uh... Ticking clock here, too, where he tells him you have three Three days. days. Three days. That's right. Okay, we'll take a brief break now. Let me tell you about our next sponsor. It's Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered, American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. Now, you spend, if you're a human being and not some sort of Dracula, about a third of your life sleeping. Let's make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. Casper brings together two comfy technologies together for better nights and brighter days, latex foam and memory foam. Latex foam, super kind of comfy and gushy at the very top of the mattress, and then the support that comes from the memory foam, they couple them together. If you've just felt memory foam by itself, you have not felt what Casper has to offer. It's got what they like to call just the right sink and just the right bounce, no matter how you sleep. And here is some more good news. It's got a risk-free trial. I know you go to the mattress store and you think, I don't know if this is comfortable or not. It feels okay right now, but in half an hour or an hour, um, would I be uncomfortable? Overnight, would I be uncomfortable? I just don't know. Risk-free trial means you can try Casper and see if you like it. They'll deliver it straight to you. It comes in a box. It's shipped to your door. You open it up. You can sleep on it for up to 100 days. And if at any point you decide it's not for you, you know there's no risk. They will pick it up and take it away, and you are out nothing. It's pretty cool. They sent me to one. I've been sleeping on it for months now. I really appreciate it. It is a legitimately comfortable mattress. My wife and I are both very happy with the new mattress. $500 for a twin, up to $950 for a king-size mattress. Compare those to the industry prices. I think you'll find it's an outstanding price. And now I can make it even better. You can get $50 off toward any mattress purchase at Casper by going to this special address, casper.com slash Snell. That's my last name, casper.com slash Snell. And use my last name as your code, Snell, for $50 off any mattress purchase at Casper. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. Uh, cut to... Stellan Skarsgård chewing scenery. Skarsgård as Tupolev. You may know him as the guy from like Thor and the Avengers, but here he was sub-commander Tupolev who, is going to, who announces we are going to kill Ramius. Yeah, speaking of things that are hard for me to reconcile, even though I saw this long before uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo reconciling his character in that <laughs> movie with Tupolev. In, in one sense, well, you know, I'm trying not to spoil the other movie. In one sense, it sort of makes sense. But in a lot of ways, it's like, what? these are two completely different people, which I guess is a testament to Stellan Skarsgård's acting, acting on, ability. I mean, he is really good. And you hate Tupolev the moment you, you meet him. Like, oh, you yeah. just hate he, that guy. He is, really... he is sweaty and awful. We, we don't yes. like him before we meet him because they ask him about Tupolev, and he says Tupolev is only concerned with Tupolev. He says there's, there's only no room love in Tupolev's heart for Tupolev. There's no room in anyone else's heart. Heart for, or yes. There's no room in Tupolev's heart for anybody but, but Tupolev. Yeah, but you hold a special place in his heart. Nope. No. Nope. Yes, the smallest part. Also, he just <laughs> he just does devour the scenery around him in this movie. Yeah. Yes. yes. There's a lot of shouting from Stellan Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. But it works. But that's okay. Part. It totally works. Totally yeah. works. He's your real rogue uh, sub captain. Yes. So, um, 
really interesting scene comes after this, which is uh, the, the there's the meeting of the collaborators. This is where we get the sense that that Jack Ryan has hinted at here, which is he's assembled his group, and here we see them all meeting at a at a. Uh, I, I wrote down originally that it was there they have dinner, but no. Connery eats. The rest of them just sort of sit there and watch him eat and talk In fact, to him. Tim, Tim Curry gets kicked out before him. Mm-hmm. Yes, because Tim Curry is not one of the trusted officers. No, he's not. He's not. He doesn't get his dinner he, either. He, he's the stooge. He's the dupe. He's the mark. And the rest yeah. of them are upset because they expected this to be much more straightforward um, as a defection, but uh, instead it's like, oh, you had to make a political statement. And all well, they that. weren't expecting him to send the letter to his father-in-law. Exactly. And, and which scrambles the entire Soviet fleet. And I believe that um, the murder of the political officer was sort right, of Sean right. Connery freelancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were worked up about uh, Putin being killed. And then they, they were really worked up about the letter to Pedorin because they know that the whole the whole, the whole fleet is going to come yeah. after them. I wish improvised. <laughs> <laughs> it's sweet jazz, baby. Like. He's just very calm as he's explaining yeah. this, uh-huh. eating his dinner. More tea, anybody? I give no. us one chance in three. Oh, that more tea, everybody. More tea is great. More tea <laughs> is a great line because it's, I can murder you, too. <laughs> and I'm just going to pour my tea. And they're all arguing about whether or not this is going to work. And we get we get our... We get our like little like thirty second character sketch of yeah. all. This is the guy that worries all the time. This is the guy that's like, man, I don't really care. I just sort of wanted to agree. This you is know, the fatalistic guy. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have uh, uh, Sam Neill, sort of like running interference, mm-hmm. always. And 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 then being like when they have a moment privately where they're like, yeah, I'm not gonna like disagree with you in front of all the guys, but like, was, uh, was that a good idea? Seriously, <laughs> you're afraid of our fleet. Well, you should be. Personally, I give us one chance in three. We get yep. some buckaroo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just depends on us getting the right yeah. shot. That's right. Which which is a uh, which ends up getting uh, paid off later yeah, when uh, when we Big have the, the the boarding of the sub with uh, with Scott Glenn with his with his sidearm. Um, we cut back to Jack Ryan taking a plane ride. Um, a bumpy plane ride where there's a lot, a lot of conversation about, oh, you should have seen the last flight we were on. Everybody was vomiting everywhere and all that. <laughs> Industrial really nice. weight puke is in my notes. <laughs> yeah. Next time, Jack, just put in a memo. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he tells himself for the rest of the movie that this was a, all a terrible yeah. mistake. Should have emailed but, it. But he gets, on, he gets on the ship, which is captained by Fred Thompson. Fred. I believe he's President the admiral. Timber, Fred Dalton Thompson. He's the admiral. Yep. There's, a, yeah. there's another captain on the ship. Who, who doesn't like Jack. Yeah, first. who's Moriarty from Star Trek The Next Generation by the way real oh that's where i knew him yeah. from oh man he is the other actor i don't like in this movie he uh. it, it is like he won a contest <laughs> and to appear in this film well he does a 180 though like well, he i goes don't from like him wearing jack. the uniform right he goes from hating jack to really liking him yeah he starts mm-hmm. off like super i think that actor is good at the stuffed shirt parts certainly that's what moriarty is and and here he seems a little bit like oh who does he think he is coming on our ship like this and like what really so they have jack wearing a commander's navy uniform which is sort of the idea of him blending in right because if he's just a civilian who shows up on this ship everyone's gonna be like who the hell is that guy um, and so, of course, you know, the, the captain feels a little bent out of shape because he's like, oh, he's not a naval officer. He's, he's wearing this uniform. And that's where we like right. an hour into the movie. We get Jack Ryan's backstory, right. which Fred Thompson says, I, you know, I checked up on this on this kid. Um, he was in a helicopter accident at the Naval Academy. You got to cut him some slack. He spent like a year in the hospital. Uh, finished his last year from you know from bed basically because his legs were all broken. Uh, so you know yeah he he didn't serve 
but he he did graduate from the Naval Academy. Cut him a little bit of slack, which is a, it's a nice scene that that you know kind of gets. We understand Ryan, but we also get get like Fred Thompson's chewing scenery here. But again, he's like this is Fred Thompson at his most Fred Thompson. Oh yeah, I'm down home <laughs> and saying Russians don't take a crap without a plan, yeah. son. I'm a I'm a straight shooter, boy. Let me sell you some reverse mortgages. No wait, that's <laughs> so later in my the, career. The other thing Fred Thompson does here is is explain the complexity of the situation to Ryan, and I like that. I like that a lot because Ryan's sort of like, well, I got this all figured out. I'm on top of it, and and he's like, you got to get the guys off the boat. They got to think it's destroyed. This is this for this to work. It's not just you know we don't just go out there and they hand us the boat. We got to do like all this stuff. Um, and I, I like that because it that not only uh, sort of sets Ryan back a little bit, but it gives us the map for the rest of the movie about how it's going to go, which I think is a nice touch. Yeah, and it gives us a chance to see Ryan at a, on his back foot, right? Like where mm-hmm. he, he is not sure what's going on. He he is really an analyst, right? He's out of his depth. No pun intended. So so yes. <laughs> me, meanwhile, meanwhile, underwater, um, they are tracking the the Dallas is tracking a sound. And Jonesy th- says that it, it sounds like uh, it's it's like magma displacement. But if you play it back at ten times speed, it's got to be man-made. And it's headed. And there's that nice scene where he like he finds out all their contacts with the sub. It, it's headed for Thor's twins, which is this landmark in, in that goes into a canyon, uh, an undersea canyon. And uh, he's like uh, Ryan at the at the briefing at the White House, he's kind of putting himself out there because this is this kind of wild speculation about something that's totally crazy that this sound that isn't uh, isn't a sub but maybe a sub that we've never heard before. And there's a, a, a this is a great Scott Glenn moment where he says, "Relax, Jonesy, you sold me." Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, love, I love that bit. And I, I also like this whole like sort of laying the groundwork for we've got this canyon that the Russians have like really good maps of. So they basically just do speed runs down it. Yeah, uh, it's just like bullseyeing Womp Rats back home in Beggar's Canyon. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I saw this movie, movie for the first time, I, I don't remember how old I was, but I was probably between 10 and 15. And the first time I saw this and Jonesy gets out his tape recorder and, it, and you hear that thing that sounds kind of like a whale. And then he does the 10 times speed. I have no idea if that was really the same sound 10 times faster. <laughs> but my 10 or 12 or whatever year old mind exploded when I heard <laughs> the fast version. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's really it. That's really it. He's got it. He's got it. I was so excited. And, and it just blew my mind that that that, that sound supposedly created this other sound. I, I love that. I scene. think it works because it's this long, slow sound. But the point is that mm-hmm. it pulses at regular intervals and when you speed it up you realize there's no way that couldn't that could be a natural phenomenon because it is exact intervals um right. it's a, it's a nice with a with a tape player that can go at fast speeds because it's the 80s <laughs> well and of course we also get jonesy saying that he can track it right which mm-hmm. is kind of belying the whole point of this drive is That's that right. it's supposed to be super silent but our our guys are better yeah our guys can fig- can figure it out or at least they can under certain circumstances, knowing where to look, they can do some tracking right. of it. But it is funny that in the first encounter with the Caterpillar, a guy on a on a submarine, a U.S. submarine, um, figures it out. <laughs> but well, he's the, he's the best we got. He's, Jonesy. Our, he's the creme. It's yeah, Jonesy. They shouldn't the invest with Jonesy. He is the sonar, sonar savant. So yeah. if anyone could do it, it's Jonesy. Wait, we have we. I have a note here, which is that Ram- my note reads Ramius is griefing his crew, which is he makes them run the speed run even faster. Oh yes, that's true. 
Um, he's like, yeah, I got this under control. You give me a stopwatch and a, and a map and I'll fly the Alps in a plane blindfold. Yeah, do your speed double. Steering the stuff must not be very precise because, I, you know, they do precise countdowns by the but second. But the time it takes for them to relay all yeah, the orders. They, yeah, it would already <laughs> crash. To the second where the, so does the guy who's the navigator, does he know exactly how many seconds it takes for one guy to tell the other guy to tell the other guy to do the thing that makes the sub turn? I assume so, but that bothers me as well. <laughs> like, it also seems really inefficient to have three different guys yell the same order and like telephone yeah. he's four feet away you could just tell him yourself yeah or you could just push the button <laughs> the bridge is not that big yeah that 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 seems but it, it is exciting and he's pushing them to go faster um but then there's an uh like a, a blast in the cryogenic plant which has failed um and so they uh they're they're uh they're in trouble and it turns out that they're sabotage um meanwhile this is about when we get the scene with the russian ambassador and the national security advisor where it's entirely bogus how can we help no 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 we're fine terribly sorry a man could walk from iceland to greenland (laughs) scotland without getting his feet wet uh to go back just very briefly when the doctor comes down uh the the ladder and is just freaking out about the radiation (laughs) it's at this moment you're like it's not a very good doctor yeah i can understand why they didn't want him part of this (laughs) because that guy's annoying as hell Terrible, terrible doctor. If you have horrible fears of radiation, do not lock yourself up in a submarine with <laughs> a nuclear <laughs> submarine. Yeah, smart, smart. No, the 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 attack the attack comes from um, uh, the fleets that are flying over the the airplanes, and they're dropping they're dropping uh, depth charges basically into the. So uh, this is this is where you get the slack time that the navigator puts in, right? Because this right. is where you've got the plus 10, 11, 12, right? And then Ramius is like hard over, uh, you know, rifle rudder, reverse starboard engine. They, you know, it impacts on Thor's twins and they get through the thing and all that. And it's very exciting. This is a, this is a, a, a moment that, you know, doesn't really have to be in the movie, but it really gives you the sense that the, the Russian fleet is closing in on them and they're in danger. And it's a really nice action scene. Plus there's the whole element of everybody else now, like, trying to figure out wait they're shooting actual torpedoes yes, why at us. are they shooting at us and this is the point where i wonder how we how well you can sell the crew so like the, the you know the non-officers who are not involved in this defection are all of a sudden going to be asking themselves what's going on here yeah this is the scene you have to have in every sub movie where it's the first <laughs> encounter with the depth charges or the enemy torpedo or or what have you where where everyone has to elude everything and it's very tense yeah so after this we discover that they have indeed been sabotaged because the really shifty-eyed engineer who is at this point we think may have done the sabotaging himself uh says oh yeah the, you know this this component that is not easy to find has been sabotaged and so now they're not sure what to make of it. The officers aren't sure what to make of it. And, you know, the crew is going to find out, which they eventually do. And so now they know that they're getting shot out with real weapons. They know they're being sabotaged. And so the crew is getting really worked up about it. But then we have this comic relief of Alec Baldwin in the shower doing a Fred Thompson impression. And it's one of a couple impressions he does. I don't know. I still think it's hysterical. Um, you know, uh, Rushka doesn't take a dump, son, without a plan. And, oh, God, it's so good. And, and and he's starting to doubt himself and trying to figure out, like you were talking about earlier, you know, what do we do? How do you get this? How do you get the crew off a sub? How do you get the crew off mm. a nuclear? <gasps> dum bum bum right, Eureka! Exactly. It's a great moment. Mm-hmm. And he slipped in the shower on some tea. It was really unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because you're kind of taking this journey with him and you're thinking to yourself, well, how would you get a, a crew to want to get off a nuclear submarine? And then when he realizes it, or at least for me anyway, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, now I get it. 
And then he runs up to the bridge of what uh, whatever boat he's on, the Enterprise or, or yep, what have you. Yeah, that's the Enterprise because this um, is a Paramount picture. <laughs> naturally. And and they're a little bit distracted at the time. Yeah. Well, uh, you have that rant. Yeah, so we have like a random crash that I you know don't entirely follow what happened, but it's basically like a plane has clipped another plane while flying in formation and yeah, is trying uh, to make a landing. I finally damage. figured out, low these many years later, what, what has been happening is you've got all the planes out because we're— there's all this uh, naval activity going on, and the planes are flying recon, and they got a little bit too close, and one plane clipped a wing, and it's trying to come in for a, an emergency landing, and, and it crashes. And that's why Fred Thompson says this is, you know, we're going to get a bunch of people killed here. It's, it's kind of analogous to the situation where you have the U.S. and the Russian fighter pl- planes over Syria, and there's, like, the danger that they're going to, you know, first off, they could hit each other. They could, you know, they could there could be an incident. It's like there's a lot of traffic going on, and it's dangerous, and that's what Fred Thompson says here is, like, this is a problem because of the escalation that this is this, this is really dangerous so but it, it yeah. also gives us that more direct moment of like we already know alec baldwin hates, hates flying fly, and, yeah. the, and the hey, only way he's, the only way he's going to get out there to the kids who wants to get onto the dallas is by helicopter yeah. we have that pan over to a helicopter and he's like thinking about it like, <sighs> Here we go again. so the the, spe- the specific line that uh, fred thompson says and i i just want to get this on the record because every time something goes bad for me in my professional life i say this line this business will get out of control control. it will get out of control and we'll be lucky to live through it (laughs) yep so good i also loved the uh mid-80s gps system that was basically the size of the microsoft surface table oh where they're like dialing things around yep 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 oh it's so good that is also this is also where we learn that really the the russian plot is not to um uh, overtake Ramius. It is rather to um, drive him to the coast where a lot of Soviet subs are waiting to sink him. I like that the Soviet subs are hanging out like right on our coast. Yeah. International okay. waters, man. Just hanging out. I, 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 I don't think I'm, I'm uh, breaking any classified information here. My, uh, my, my late father-in-law was uh, a, a, a submariner. And um, he could tell some stories about where he hung out um, uh, off the coasts of countries, which may or may not have known that they were there. Well, and there's that good line. Was it earlier on where, yeah, it's it's the skip, the submariner mentions, like, when I was a kid, I helped my dad build a bomb shelter in the basement because someone parked a bunch of nuclear missiles 90 miles off Florida. You know, so we get, like, the whole Cuban Missile Crisis angle. And so, yeah, I guess in some ways it isn't surprising that we just got lots of submarines floating around doing things. Um, this is also uh, where I I enjoy the setup where we get the we get the line where it would be like a seismic anomaly and then we get Jonesy says it, 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 I put it in the computer and it's like it goes back to its original language and it says it's magma displacement and then here he hears magma displacement and Jack Ryan has that moment of like is, would that be a seismic anomaly and he makes the connection it's just really fun to see him make that connection it's like yes and he's like mm-hmm. this is it I gotta do this and so they um. You know, next time, Jack, write a goddamn memo. And <laughs> off he goes. In, in his flying gas can, his, his chopper oh, yeah. that's been stripped down and turned into a flying gas can. It's funny because they go into a lot more um, description about this in the book, which I haven't read in years. But they talk about how the, um, God, I forget the acronym. They do mention it in the movie. But the, the, the computer system that the sonar is using yeah. was originally to figure out where earthquakes were, if memory serves. And so Zaps, that's, I think. yes, yes. signal algorithmic processing system or something like that. And well, anyway, so what Jonesy said is accurate. And that's what they say in the book is that when it doesn't really know what to make of things, it just says, 
meh, it's probably an earthquake. <laughs> and so that's that's exactly what was happening here, just like you said, Jason, that, you know, oh, a seismic event? Oh, maybe it's just because Saps is fooled, and maybe that's the sub. And it is a, it is a, another funny Eureka moment. So so uh, let's see, we get a scene, we get the scene between Sam Neill and Sean Connery that is the, the wonderful, um, do you think they will let me live in Montana? <laughs> I, I, maybe I'll get a recreational vehicle and drive from state to state. Will I need papers? No papers. It's I will a, marry a round American woman and she will raise rabbits. I will need two wives. I would like to live in Arizona. At least. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice little moment. And this is also that tender moment that needs to happen now because he's going to die. Now we all like Vasily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Love Vasily. That's great. right. I miss the piece of fishing. <laughs> yes, he was a he. He made his uh, Ramius made his wife a widow when he married her on the day he married mm-hmm. her. What a jerk! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not good planning on his part. I've been a she for forty years. <laughs> a war at sea with no battles, no monuments, only casualties. Only casualties. I've shot him waxing a little poetic in my old age. <laughs> There's a crazy Ivan. They explain the crazy Ivan where every so often Russian sub commanders will just uh, turn. And I love that whenever, you know, I watch the first episode of Firefly again, yeah, and it has a crazy, crazy Ivan, Ivan in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I love that that is a reference they throw out because I inevitably someone watching it is like, oh, that's funny. That's a Firefly thing. I'm like, no, no, no. That's a Hunt for no, Red October thing. That's right. You missed the no, original so reference. Which is a great scene, too, because it's intercut between them sitting there, you know, yeah, like having their philosophical and, conversation. And, and you know, the Dallas people like freaking out like, oh, God, they're turning around. We've got to stop everything. Let's explain. You know, they we have, again, the explication. What is a crazy Ivan? Oh, they're just checking to make sure because they're paranoid. And they basically do like a circle around the Dallas uh, and because they say like, oh, he went right around us. And you kind of watch in, in some of the exterior shots. And I, I think I actually, by the way, you know, full credit to like the, the the special effects work done here because I think most of the undersea segments are pretty good, especially, yeah. you know, given the year this happened. Um, they did have some, I guess, some access to submarines for filming purposes, but a lot of these are models. Uh, and in fact, I read in one of the trivia things that like the Red October model is like not even underwater for any of the shots. They like composite it all in. Countermeasures aside, the uh, special effects really hold up well. Yeah. The countermeasures yeah. and when the torpedo splits, that's yeah. also so yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, and there's some matting issues and stuff, especially sure. that last scene where they're standing on top. <laughs> well, sure. Which is terrible. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, it's, it's other still than those six solid. things. Yeah, well, yeah. Other than it like, yeah, it's a two, it's a two hour plus movie, and we've we've nitpicked a half dozen things. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right, and I agree with you, Dan, that that it really does stand up and hold up well. Um, and so next thing you know, the Dallas has found the October because, you know, they just did the mm-hmm. crazy Ivan right around him, around the Dallas. But then they get on the ELF, which is very important on Crimson yes. Tide, a movie yes, that is wholly unrelated yes. to this movie. Yes. I know. Um, but they get this message that, oh, Alec Baldwin's coming and, you know, somebody you must have, really have a burr up their ass to go for a stunt like this. Um right. So anyway, so they surface, and Alec Baldwin is trying to convince the chopper pilot to wait just long enough. You've to got get ten him on minutes of fuel. You'll give me ten minutes. You'll have a war situation, Mister. <laughs> and so then he decides when he's told, "No, it's not going to work. Come up, come up." He says, "Well, screw it. I'll just go in the drain." He unhooks and drops in, and they say, "Send out the diver," and they drag him in. And he's soaking wet they, and cold. They, and they says, static. They electrocute the the XO too on the way over. Because you're trying to like grab him with this little hook. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Of the, the static XO gets a nasty cut on Yeah, his head. yeah. He, yep. he falls off the conning tower yep. and like whacks his head. That's dedication, guys. I also loved, I, w- I was watching this with my wife earlier and I commented to her, I love that the moment that Alec Baldwin 
ditches into the drink. The chopper's like, all right, have fun. I'm out. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> like, history. I mean, I, it's understandable because what are they really going to do? But at the same time, I'm like, jeez, you guys are cold. It's just, all right, well, good luck, dude. Yeah, he's your problem now. Uh, it's funny. But yeah, Alec Baldwin's all excited with himself because he did this ridiculous stunt to get on the uh, to get on the, the Dallas. And we um, are about to figure out what that what it is that that he's so excited about. But first, we have to go back to Jeffrey Pelt giving the poor Russian ambassador a hard time. Yeah, because what, what uh, they now have changed their story because they've lost the Red October. And so now they say, oh, no, it turns out Ramius is crazy and he's going to fire all his missiles and destroy your cities. So you better help us blow him up. And this is the message that is sent to, to Scott Glenn on the Dallas. And so unfortunately, this is the worst timing possible. Jack Ryan has just come there to say Ramius is defecting and they get a message that that follows that says he's not going to defect. Instead, he's going to kill us all and we need to blow him up. And so we're going to go find the Red October and we're going to blow him up. And they uh, and so they, they they go back down and there's another crazy Ivan. And Ryan says he always turns to starboard on his crazy Ivans at the bottom of the hour. And fortunately, yeah, he does pick that exact moment to do a crazy Ivan, which gets at least Scott Glenn to pause. I, I do love the line that he's like, you know, if he makes one false move, I'm going to blow him right to Mars. Yeah. Where there's water so he can just drive his submarine still. <laughs> Oh, that's delightful. And it turns out that Jack Ryan, uh, we, we find out in a, a couple minutes later, uh, just guessed because he needed a break. He didn't know he'd go to Starboard. He just, he I just love that. made a guess. I had a 50-50 chance. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I like Scott Glenn here, too, where he's like, we just unzipped our fly, right? He's like, he's, he's, yeah, opening, yeah, yeah. he's opening himself to danger here, but taking a chance that Ramius is not going to try to shoot at them. And so he, you know, Ramius is also, so, so the, the, what's the etiquette? of a of a trust but verify kind of situation is that the the Dallas has their torpedoes uh, armed and the doors open and the Red October has the their torpedoes armed but the doors not open and that's like you know and they're morse coding back and forth with the periscopes yeah well then they surface right then then they surface and do the most morse code on the periscope my morse is so rusty i may be sending dimensions on playmate of the month (laughs) also something i did not understand until (laughs) one of the later viewings (laughs) of this movie but no it is really awesome and and i love this whole scene and and it's funny to see this kind of well what is the submarine equivalent like you were saying jason of putting your hands in your pockets you know and playing it cool Mm -hmm. and apparently that's not opening your outer doors yep exactly (laughs) Exactly. this is the one scene where um sean connery really acts Mm -hmm. because he's he's looking out the um out the periscope and reading the morse code and you get to see his reaction which is oh my god we might pull this off yeah he is he's so taken aback (laughs) the way that the way that he slams down the yeah um, i love that the the controls of the of the periscope he's just oh oh (laughs) We may not die. <laughs> I'm the luckiest duck in Juckberg. It's interesting you say that, though, because my reading of what he was, that was that he was kind of pissed off that it was discovered, that he was upset that somebody else was as smart as he was, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, they, that they had figured out that they're going to defect. And, of course, it would be terrible of us not to mention... One ping only, Vasily? Yes. One ping only, please. One ping but, only. But Captain, I just sent, I just verified. One ping only. ping only. I have seen this movie probably 50 or 100 times. It is one of my favorite movies in the entire world. It just occurred to me tonight, if they're talking on the periscopes via Morse code, why not just say, word, sounds good? Like, why do we have to do this whole one ping dance? I think because it's like essentially... 
it's just making it blatant, right? Like the fact, I think what's what's cool about the ping when they do it is it is deafeningly loud, right? Everybody on the ship hears it. And it's kind of, again, the similar sort of etiquette thing of like putting all our cards on the table. Yep. We're not hiding everything. Like, because when you're having that, that Morse code conversation, it's like totally a one-on-one conversation, right? So I feel like there's something like, they're again, they're exposing themselves and being like, Yep, we see you. Here we are. Like we're we're like it's a trust thing. But you're right. Like they could do it on the periscopes, but I feel like there's there's something more like they're sort of laying it all down there with the with the paint. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think I think you're both right in the sense that um, I think Ramius is surprised as as uh, as somebody in the chat room just said, a little confounded that the Americans figured it out. I think he's surprised and relieved, right? Because he's yeah, in yeah, a world of trouble mm-hmm. and they've already figured it out. So he doesn't have to try and explain it like because you know he gets he gets put in this position by the Americans and he's taking a big chance that this is all going to go south too. But nope, they got it. They figured it out. Their chances are up from one and three, <laughs> maybe two and three now. Who knows? Although it does raise the question once again: What is the rest of the crew thinking about this? Because they know they're sending the ping out, right? Like everybody on the bridge there with him, and he and then he's like, "We're going to run away from the Americans." And yeah, so like, do they all assume he's just like taunting them? I guess it's just it's one of those scenes that gets me like, what are you thinking if you're on the bridge? I think at that you gotta point? trust trust your captain, and he does the theatrics with Sam Neill, where he's like, you know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to turn and run, and and, and you know, not there. There's not a week that goes by that I don't quote this movie in, in regular conversation, and the probably the most quoted line. My wife and I will say this when we're driving, and there's someone driving erratically in front of us or around us and we'll say, one of us will say we must give this american a wide berth <laughs> <laughs> or they're doing a crazy ivan one of yes. them yeah, one or the other. <laughs> and uh so after this we get our brief moment with the crazy creepy engineer coming up the stairs smoking looking directly Staring. into the camera yes yes oh so creepy and uh, the first time i saw this I, I forget which one of you said this earlier yeah. but i was convinced he well, was he's a, a bad guy yeah i mean yeah but that's me Yep. But we we did sort of this is the okay plans on. So this is 20, 20 hours later. There's a reactor problem. There's radiation. Everybody's freaking out. Oh my god! Oh Tim my god! Tim Curry's got captain. Captain. <laughs> <laughs> so they surface and evacuate. The U.S. ship is coming. Oh no! We're gonna have to. Okay, you guys, you guys get in the lifeboats, and we will go back down and scuttle the ship. Yes, you there's will a get U.S. Them. destroyer bearing down yes. on the now surfaced Red October. The crew is abandoning ship onto life rafts and. And um, and uh, uh, Sean Connery turns to uh, Doctor Frankenfurter and says, <laughs> "You will go with the crew, and the, me and the rest of the officers will go down below and scuttle the ship. You will receive the Order of Lenin. <laughs> you for this. will receive the Order of Lenin for this, sir. <laughs> yeah. I don't need them. I've got five Orders of Lenin already. Tim Curry, ladies and gentlemen, are uh, they? They uh, they take off in the in the uh, in the ship, which." We never really see it go back down. They no, like, we, did, we get to see the destroyer fire, firing shots across its bow. Though. Yes, yes, the destroyer. Yeah, that's and, nice. And, and they and they they actually launch a torpedo. Yeah, so so they launch a torpedo, and it uh, there's a there's a sonar guy or a torpedo guy who is counting down the distance 50, to the Red October. Fifty feet, fifty meters to impact. And Forty me- meters. Meanwhile, they flipped open a button, and there's a hand hovering over the button. And when it gets to like 50, 50 yards or something, uh, it, the hand hits it, pan up. 
it, it, it explodes not anywhere near, you know, 50, 50 yards away from the Red October. Pan up, James Earl Jones, and he says, Officer, that hit the hull of the Red October, and I, I was, was never, never here. here. <laughs> and apparently all you need to lie for the rest of your life is James Earl Jones's voice and a CIA ID. Yep. That's yes. all it takes. I Some think so. Badge. Well, obviously James Earl Jones read the opening uh, credits where it said this never happened. Yeah. So <laughs> this, he's no. just passing on Well, he wrote the opening credits. Yes. My, 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 uh, my note says, oh, James Earl Jones, you're right out of sneakers here. Uh-huh. I was <laughs> never here. So Are you someone who can make a deal? Though so they bring Jeffrey Jones along on that mission, <laughs> which I, I always thought was kind of weird. Well, he's a DSRV guy, yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's it. Is that this is the setup? Is the DSRV we saw earlier, the deep sea rescue vehicle that can that can connect to any sub? Mm-hmm. Oh. Wink, wink, nod, um, nod. And so they, the USS Dallas now has that, and they go to the to connect to the to the Red October, and uh, and open the hatch. I love they knock on it with the ha- with hand a, me that big, hammer, big heavy hammer. Dong. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine being in the Red October and all of a sudden you hear that on the outside? I, know. I mean, I would assume that they saw on sonar this little, you know, mini sub coming yeah. at them. But God, that would freak me out. Like, how do you to have the faith to open an outer porthole into the ocean as far as I don't think concerned. you could even open it. If That's it true. Weren't, That's right? true. Like the pressure would probably prevent you. But yeah, it is pretty. I love that guy, too. He's like, oh, Americans. Americans. This is Suda, Suda, which means here, here, come. And this is a nice tense moment where they're going through. Now it's American uh, military guys on a Soviet submarine, which is super weird and creepy. And there's nobody on the submarine because they've gotten all the people off of it, um, except for the except for the the saboteurs. It turns out and the officers. And they get to, the, the bridge is like around the corner from the ladder from the from the 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 porthole. So it's all it's all very close. It's not it's not that. That uh, that far that they have to walk, but suddenly they're on the bridge with Sean Connery and Sam Neill and all these other officers, and it's like it's awkward. And I love they're all sort of frozen. The, the engineers taking the radiation alarm down and it's just kind of staring at them, like, "Hey, Sam, oh, I like, I like the, this is where I like his little like, oh, where are my manners? I I should turn off this alarm. Yeah. <laughs> Can I have a cigarette? Even though he said multiple times that he does not yeah, smoke, and then yep, he turns yep. green." Yep. This is the Russians like this when you do this. <laughs> um also and they make fun of him. But yeah. but in the end, right? But in, in the end that that brings them all together and finally Sean Connery says my my officers and I request asylum. It's actually a nice back and forth where where Ryan reveals that he speaks Russian and uh, and, and Ramius reveals that he speaks English. Um mm-hmm. because they've reverted to Russian here because now we've got English speakers in the in the in the sub. But it's a nice a nice little uh connection there and the, because there's this question like well what do you say to somebody who has just handed a Soviet sub to you and is defecting? It's a little awkward. How do you break the ice there? And they, they work on it for a couple minutes. Uh, yes. I, I enjoy um, as he makes him sit down at the, the con there. And then uh, it's like, you said you write books. And he's like, ah, I know this book. I know this book. <laughs> your, your, your conclusions are all wrong. Halsey yeah. yeah. acted stupidly. Yes. Yeah, but but the reason he's sitting at the con in the first place is because they hear a, a torpedo buzz them. And our sonar savant Super says... Yeah, that 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 pitch was too high. Torpedoes rushing. The Americans so, are still firing on us. No, no, pitch was too high. Jonesy yep. knows. Jonesy knows all. So they figure. You know, everyone kind of runs to a station they they can do something with. And Ramius, like you guys said, you know, says to Ryan, "Well, you know, what do you do?" And he says, "Well, I'm just an analyst with the CIA. Well, whatever. CIA. Just sit CIA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I also love that uh, that Ramius is ever the teacher. 
uh, when he tells Ryan to increase the speed to flank or whatever it is, um, he'd say, you know, how do Turn I do that? And... Turn that knob right. Well, I mean, forward. all the controls are presumably in Russian, right? right? So like that is probably, although Ryan knows Russian, yeah. so maybe he can sort of figure out, but he's not a, you know, he's not a, not a pilot. Yeah. No, the yeah. point I'm trying to make though, is that, you know, Ramius was within three inches of the damn, of the, of the, the crank that needed to be cranked. He could have just turned the lever. But right. no, even in this fairly urgent situation where they know another torpedo is imminently coming at them, he says to Ryan, no, no, this is what you need to do. He's ever the teacher, yep. always instructing. I, I, right. I just thought he could have had Mancuso sit down and say, probably <laughs> right? knows how to drive himself. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> this is true. Not the writer. Don't have the guy who writes the books there. Especially the one who is wrong about Halsey. Yeah. yeah, well, and then we have and then we have a very sad scene. Our saboteur we, starts Our saboteur up pops joint. up, shoots up, Vasily shoves Ramius out of the way and takes a bullet in the chest. Mm-hmm. And what would he have liked to have done before he died? I would, I like, would to have liked to have seen, seen Montana. Montana. Oh, so sad. Very poignant. It, more poignant than if he had said, I would have liked to have two wives in Montana. And <laughs> I was looking forward to eating all those rabbits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and actually, uh, we're skipping over the part where Ramius turns into the torpedo. Which, right, especially right. as a oh, kid, yeah. when well, you're during watching the this, book conversation, right? Right, right exactly. Yes. And, and so he time. says, he turned into the torpedo. Of course, Mancuso is crapping himself. And Ramius is so confident that he's just carrying on this very nonchalant conversation about what books Ryan has written. Right. But I tell you what, especially as a kid, when I saw this, I was, they're, they're turning into the torpedo. What are they doing? Oh, my God, they're all going to die. What is wrong with these people? And I was freaking out. And, and it's a really clever scene, especially for someone like, I don't know how, how torpedoes work and how all this really works and not knowing any better about the range and all that. Ramius knows how... Mm-hmm. Soviet torpedoes are armed and knows mm-hmm. that if he closes the gap, he can he can hit it with his giant submarine before it's armed and smash it and it won't be able to impact him. But he and, also knows that Tupolev will not make the shame mistake twice. <laughs> indeed, indeed, uh, which uh, makes Tupolev's uh, next thing even more dangerous. Um, so Sam Neill dies. There's gun. There's the gun. There's they have to go after the. Um, they have cook. to go after the cook who is and so uh who is who has broken into the missile yeah, basically he's, he's, where they keep the ICBMs. He's going to try to blow up the the ICBMs and blow up the ship basically. And so Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin go down there. We we have a nice scene though where Man- he hands over control of the ship yes, to Captain, Mancuso. Captain, you have the con, he says. So. And then Mancuso gives him his gun, which is that nice I like I like that they're kind of distrust were distrusting of each other at first, but they you know, they quickly establish a rapport. They are fellow submarine submarine Exactly. Captains. And so they I love that moment. He's like you might need this and like hands him a gun mm-hmm. cuz like he's like, well, you know, because he's given Ryan this gun earlier in, when they're in the DSRV yeah. and said, like, you know, are you willing to bet your life on the fact that he's defecting? He can't change his mind. And Ryan sort of grudgingly accepts the pistol, shoves it in his, his pocket. pocket yeah. uh, and but it is a moment of like you, you get the idea like this guy is still, you know, he's a soldier, right? Like he is prepared for the eventuality that something goes pear shaped. Um, and is, you know, it's nice to see him establish that trust. We're like, all right, we've got a common enemy in this, in this saboteur. So they, they go into the missile silo and, or missile, whatever. 
and Ramius gets popped in like the shoulder or whatever, and he says to Ryan, you know, be careful, Ryan. Most things in here don't react too yeah. well to bullets. Be careful what you shoot at, huh? Yeah. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Which, of course, he he, he runs and is immediately shot. Like, I have to be careful what I shoot at? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so then you get a, a set piece, right, where, where Alec Baldwin is going up ladders and along, like, catwalks and things and like that. And as Casey alluded to earlier, we get to hear Alec Baldwin doing his Sean Connery accent. Yep, yep, yep. Which Some I things thought in was here don't awesome. react well to bullets. Yeah, like me. I don't react well to bullets. Yeah. This is also... <laughs> I loved it. Also... So this is, and John McTiernan being the director, this is the diehard portion of the of the movie yeah. too, where where the way that that Alec Baldwin is talking to himself and all of that, it's very Come reminiscent the coast, of Die Hard. See some, have some laughs. That's right. Come back to the yeah. coast. We'll scuttle the sub. This, yeah, this whole thing is very diehard. Right <laughs> oh, down World to, War Three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right down to the very the shot, like when he basically confronts the cook. Like the gunshot sound, I think is the exact same sound when um, Reginald Vell Johnson shoots the Russian guy at the end of Die Hard. It's like this big, like brassy, like bam, bam, and you don't even really see what's happening. You just are focused because it's like looking at Ryan shooting the gun. Um, and so it, it struck me as that the shot composition and sound in that scene is almost identical to the end of Die Hard. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, while all this is going on, though, is this just epic, like three sub skirmish yes where where the tupolev has removed all the safety precautions from his uh from from his uh torpedoes they fired apparently, a torpedo they fired a torpedo jonesy apparently can hear when it becomes active which is a little bit peculiar to me but whatever yeah, i don't understand there's there's some fast and loose playing it's with the, the sonar scanners. throughout this movie right something. right right so anyway so there's this active torpedo that goes chasing after the red, red october and all of a sudden the uss dallas comes out of nowhere with the executive officer or you know first officer commanding it and they decide to get in between the torpedo Mm -hmm. and the red october and then next thing you know what do they do they go reaching for the sky yeah they launch countermeasures and then do the full blow which is great is so amazing and and watching that clip of whatever sub it was and it looks real to me so i'm assuming the uss houston Okay, it's, nice. they, it's, it's a great shot where where the where the big the USS Enterprise right is in the foreground. There's a or the big the big US ship, the one that w- that had come for the the um, the officer the, for, the crew anyway. The yeah, the, yeah, that's yes. what it is. That that yeah, ship Ruben is, the, the Enterprise. is yeah, in the foreground. Yeah, no, it's the one where they're going to pick up the Russian crew, and then in the background you see the 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 sub blow. Um, which is really great. And then they all shout, the captain scared them out of the water. Yeah, <laughs> captain! Because they're still rooting for their captain who has lied to them. <laughs> so sad. But the torpedo is still active. Searching for another target. And searching for another target. And this is the, this is the moment where the guy who warned Tupolev not to me- monkey around with the arming. Don't deactivate the, the safety uh, yep. measures on the sub, on the torpedoes. It homes in on Tupolev's sub and explodes it in a giant explosion that makes the sailors up top sad because they think that they're... And you get the wily died. coyote look that still in Scar's garden. Yep. Right <laughs> As he says, right you wear a good ass, you've you killed, killed us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Man, it, I tell you, what a great, like, really awesome climax to a movie. And I mean, not to say this is the best one ever, but oh, every time I watch this, I get all worked up. You know, Not that I don't know how it's going to end, but seeing all this dancing between the three subs and how they work this out, I just think it's fantastic. And I don't remember the details of how it worked in the book, but I remember thinking to myself that the book actually did it even better, which don't confuse that as a, as a complaint about the movie. Not at all. I'm not trying to be that guy. I think the movie did it brilliantly. And 
and I wouldn't have had it any other way. But the book, I think one of the subs like runs into the other or something like that. It was it was even more absurd and ridiculous. But I loved every second of it. Well, you know, a, a big a lot of modern action movies make the mistake of having the end be about big explosions and stuff. And the nice thing about this movie is it is the combination. It is the big stew. You've got the emotional beats of these two of the of these two arch enemies working together um in, on the on the uh, bridge of the red october and also with ramius and jack ryan down trying to stop the 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 saboteur uh, that's all happening along with this bigger game that has this that, you know that between the three different subs and all intercut together so you get yeah you're getting you emotional beats and you're investing in these characters and you've got this crazy thing with the 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 uh the torpedo zipping around and Tupolev gets what is coming to him. But it, it's a great little combination of all of those things happening that makes it so dramatic, I think. So cut to duplicitous Russian ambassador uh, talking to our, uh, our national security advisor. And it's like the hero of the movie. You te- mean. Yes. A terrible tragedy, Mr. Ambassador, terrible tragedy. And then we get the moment of like, Oh, by the way, we lost another one of our submarines. You lost another, another submarine. submarine with the dramatic, like looking down over his glasses. Oh, yeah, because so because oh, so I mean good. they're just like a lie. Oh, they, they've run Andre. out of lies now. They've run out Andre. of lies. Yep. So many lies, it doesn't even make sense anymore. And Joss Ackland totally just the sort of crumples his hat. Exactly. But it's a great moment where, I mean, because this is it. It's like, well, that's the deep part of the ocean and it was exploded. So Perhaps one day there will be technology to find (laughs) out what really happened. Perhaps. Perhaps. Eats candy. Cut to the Penobscot River, Maine. Maine. This is not my favorite ending to the movie. Yeah, no. <laughs> this scene never happened, as far as I'm concerned. Much yeah, like, it, much like the beginning of the movie, where they tell us it never happened. Dan already mentioned the matting problem. With yeah, the oh, so yeah, bad. it's not not good, not good. I mean, I I think I, I would have preferred it if it ended with the pelt scene, but I feel like if that had been the ending of the movie, then I would be lamenting that it didn't really. You know, didn't put the period on the end with. You Ramius could almost and Ryan. cut to Jack flying home on the plane, but I also agree that you don't really get it. It does feel like you need something with Ramius and Ryan because they spent the whole movie apart. It's almost like a rom com. They spent the whole movie. <laughs> Finally, they gotten together. <laughs> yeah, but it could have been like Ryan buying Ramius a donut or something, right? <laughs> or just taking him to Montana. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, isn't it in one of the later uh, Tom Clancy books? Uh, Jack Ryan calls on his friend Mark Raymond to come and advise him on something, and it's it's Ramius. Yeah, I think was that Cardinal of the Kremlin. Yeah, he's living yeah. under his assumed. It's the only time he appears again, crappy, I believe, in the book. Crappy assumed name, but so you need something, and I get why it's short and all that. And you want to you want to communicate that they've that they're parking it somewhere, and I get I get it. It's it's fine. It doesn't it doesn't. I don't hate that scene, but it is it is tying a tying a bow on it here with the a little revolution now and then. I mean, this is the. Uh, leading into Gorbachev and the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the welcome to the new world and all of that. And, you know, it's I'm not sure that's a satisfying answer to why anyway. I mean, if you have to ask, I mean, what's he going to do? Say, well, I I find it immoral. The first strike capabilities. Nope, we're not going to do that. So what is he going to what is he going to say? But after that scene, though, we cut back to Jack Ryan. He's asleep on the plane. You pan over another stuffed bear, John McTiernan. Another yes. bear. You believe the it is the trademark, same. IMTB it is the credit. same bear, I believe, too. Yeah, it that's is. what I'd read as well. And the weather outside is frightful. <laughs> no, wait a second. No, instead it's a Soviet chorus singing. Yes. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I did think it was a cute little um, nod to the beginning of the movie where Ryan is like, oh, I never sleep on the plane. Too much turbulence. And yeah. he's been through so much over this last three days, presumably. And they keep asking that, him how much he slept lately, right? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. That he is just <laughs> dead at this point. So that that ending I did care for. Yeah. It was this this Book weird moment in that river that that I I found a little wonky. But nonetheless, God, do I love this movie. I couldn't yeah. even yeah. really describe why I love this movie so damn much. I just, almost every scene in it, I eat yeah, up. Yeah, it, it never it flags. It never flags. It delivers no, thrills. Really... It delivers chills. It, it, there's no dead spots in the movie, even though it's well, it's over two hours long. Yeah. Uh, it's well written. There, there's mean, not a wasted scene. There's not quotable wasted dialogue. dialogue. We, we can say that, oh, I didn't really care for Tim Curry's performance, but it's, it's, it, it's in that campy kind of, oh, well, who cares? It's Tim Curry kind of way right uh, it, it, there are not too many um there are not too many unforced errors in this movie well i think we've reached the end but this has been a pleasurable discussion about the hunt for red october if, if you are listening to this and you haven't seen it in a while go watch it because it's a lot of fun and if you haven't seen it what the hell is wrong with yeah, you yeah why <laughs> see this movie yeah we've ruined it for you no we haven't yeah. you can watch it again and again and again it's no just, we've, it's just we've we've ruined nothing no you'll watch it with greater understanding Yes. You will watch it and like it. <laughs> We're going to Periscope depth now. I'm going to blow all the baffles. Mm-hmm. But I would like to thank my guests for talking about The Hunt for Red October. Casey Liss, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad that you were able to be here to talk about this movie. I was, oh, I've was i had this on my list so for like a year now. Like We'll have Casey on and talk about Red October. So here we did it. I'm so very glad. I, I'm really appreciative. And I couldn't have asked for uh, better seamen to be on this boat with me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Watch your mouth. I couldn't resist. Dan Morin, thank you for being here. I'm an American podcaster. No, it's a distinct <laughs> pleasure. Thanks for having me. Phil Michael, thank you. You know, Jason, I, I, I've said this in many times and many different ways. But arrogant ass, you've killed us. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to thank uh, everybody out there for listening to this podcast. By the way, if you think that it happened, I assure you, it never did. <laughs> and I was never here. And I was never here. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and I say goodbye. And now we will descend back into the sea. I, I would have liked to have seen Montana. <laughs> 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 <laughs>